Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000. They're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts a simple number. Here it is, lot 506 or lot 622, simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. The guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the number one progressive show in America, bar none, period, end of sentence. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Luke Barnes. Luke is a reporter with Think Progress. ThinkProgress.org is the website. His Twitter handle is LukeBarnes underscore 92. Luke, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Uh, So you were reporting this morning over at Think Progress. People could read this at ThinkProgress.org. This extraordinary Trump's Tampa rally, this is his rally yesterday in Tampa, Florida, shows the QAnon conspiracy is now fully mainstream. QAnon? This was a new one to me. QAnon has been this conspiracy theory which has been propagated around the fringe and very Trump-friendly sections of the Internet for a while now. It went silent for a couple of months, but now it's very, very much back in the mainstream and clues or breadcrumbs as to, as they're called in the QAnon community have been deposited again. So it's kind of whipped up the QAnon community into a frenzy. And so, it's in a completely bizarre conspiracy theory. 
So this started with some individual who nobody knows, somebody who is able to yeah. anonymously post on 4chan, I believe, and uh, who was doing kind of haiku. He was suggesting that there's this deep state that's out to take down Trump, but that Trump is going to take down the deep state and he's going to put Mueller and Hillary Clinton in prison and all this weird stuff. And with these little haikus, because they were relatively ambiguous, all these other conspiracy theories were spinning off of this. Am I describing this right? Because I'm basing a lot of it on your reporting. Yeah, it's very clever on the part of whoever Q is, because this theory is vague enough that anything can be kind of brought into the fold and be part of the QAnon conspiracy. Like I remember a couple of months ago, but when the, the Las Vegas shooting happened, that was not just a mass shooting. That suddenly became part of the QAnon conspiracy. I did some reporting <laughs> about this group recently in Arizona, which is basically uh, trawling around the desert or, you know, the outskirts of Tucson looking for what they describe as child sex camps and uh, what are really homeless encampments. And that kind of got brought into the fold of the QAnon conspiracy as well. So all of these tidbits, these haikus, as you describe them, are, as you said, they're kind of vague enough so that anything can be interpreted as being part of the Q theory, being part of the Q plan. And from a trolling perspective, this is extremely good tactic. It pains me to say that, but it's really, you know, brought attention and it makes people get enraptured by it. But it's starting to seep over into the real world now, and that could have a lot of pretty dangerous consequences, frankly. Yeah. Back in the 80s, I was in the Middle East traveling through several different countries and uh-huh. hanging out with folks. And I kept hearing these wild conspiracy theories. And I don't even want to characterize them in detail, you know, right now. I mean, they were just wild. And I was asking a friend of mine who's an Israeli psychotherapist or an American psychotherapist who lives in Israel, not an old friend. What's the deal with this? Where do people come up with these stories? And he said, when people are oppressed or feel that they are oppressed, they try to come up with an explanation that makes sense of everything. He says this goes back to way back when, you know, before we had science and, you know, lightning would strike a tree and Mm -hmm. we'd say, well, why did that happen? Oh, it must be the gods fighting. Or it must be that uh, Ralph over there violated one of the rules of the tribe and this is the gods telling us to kill Ralph. Uh, But we have to have explanations. If If the world doesn't make sense, it's a frightening, frightening place. And over the years, I've heard variations on that. I've read about it in social science texts. You know, who's the most vulnerable to conspiracy theories, it typically are these marginalized communities, people who feel that, whether correctly or not, but typically correctly, feel that they're they're on the outside looking in. What is this, if, if my theory is right, or my friend's theory, which I think is widely accepted in social science now, but feel free to push back on this if you know something different from what I do. If this is true, what does this say about the Trump supporters who are following these kinds of things, or for that matter, the people who are hatching them? Well, no, I think that that your friend makes an extremely valid point. And I think it's one thing that I've kind of noted and Will Sommer over the Daily Beast has also noted is that these conspiracy theories or the QAnon theory began in the same part of the Internet that was responsible for a lot of the alt-right's growth. And the alt-right is primarily, it's quite quite young. A lot of its followers, you know, it's an umbrella term, but a lot of its followers are young, disaffected men. But the QAnon theory... And this is backed up if you look at the type of people who are wearing the Q merch or holding the QAnon signs at the rally in Tampa. They tend to be older. They tend to be more baby boomer-esque generation. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of speaks to their insecurity about their place in society and the idea that America's changing, that their place is kind of on top of the social hierarchy is being challenged. And so they're looking, or not all day, like a subsection of them are looking for some sort of explanation to this. And conspiracy theories in that regard are very, very seductive. You know, it's very, very easy and very, very appealing to believe that behind everything, there is this sinister cable that involves everyone from Tom Hanks to the Queen of England to George Soros to Hillary Clinton, who are are like manipulating things and making things fall into place. And that they're part of the heroic good guys standing up against it. And it does have a very appealing ring to it. This, by the way, um, if, you read, if you read William Schur's The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, 
This mm-hmm. is this was Hitler's sales pitch in 1933, is that there's yeah. this international Jewish cabal, principally of bankers and wealthy individuals who are plotting to destroy the homeland, the, the, the fatherland, the yeah. German, the German Volk, the German people. And they're doing yeah. it by cutting your wages. They're doing it by skimming profits out of your checking account. They're doing it you know, on and on and on. And of course, it metastasized into the Holocaust. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that that's, a, that's another good point. Like, I, I don't think that I haven't seen QAnon be as explicitly anti-Semitic as other sections of the far right, sections of the alt right. But there is always that kind of talk of the globalists and of the banking conspiracy. Well, is there a, is there a, is there a racist piece to this? I mean, if this is white people who are aging into Social Security mm-hmm. and realizing, oh, my God, I can't actually live on this, or young white people who have no sense of history, no, no context to put things, and they're trying to, they're struggling to understand it. I, Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I was going to say, I think there are a lot of, like, dog whistles in there. I don't think the QAnon right now, at least, it's not explicitly racist. So they're not, they're not yet like, reaching out and saying, oh, my God, those brown people from the south of the border, they're coming to take your job. Those black people, no. they want to displace you in the good jobs. Yeah, no, I don't think that it's at that level right yet. But there is a lot of kind of, like, subtle undertones to it. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff, as, like how I said, like the globalist bankers, which is a, basically a dog whistle for, for Jewish bankers. There's a lot of stuff about illegal immigration, open borders, MS-13, the cartels, all of this stuff. And it really is like two steps removed from, you know, outright anti-Semitism, outright racism. Um, But it does kind of help, as as you said earlier, it does very much help to feed into the idea that these quote-unquote other groups are all conspiring against you, the deserving, you know, the proper Americans, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's remarkable stuff. Where yeah. do you think we're talking with Luke Barnes, a reporter for Think Progress, who just wrote a, a brilliant piece about this, these signs that I, many Americans saw for the very first time last night in the Trump rally in Tampa, uh, QAnon. Um, Luke, where do you think this is going to go? Do you, do you think that uh, as as it gets the light of national publicity, I mean, the, the national publications are picking up these stories that it's going to strengthen it or is it going to shatter it? I mean, is it going to become another Pizzagate that's, that everybody laughs at down the road? Or is think, it going to become, you know, something like the enduring, uh, you know, German theory of, of Jewish bankers? I think it, that's a very interesting question. I think, I mean, I hope that once more attention is shined upon it and more people start to pick up that, yo, this is actually what, you know, a good subsection of of Trump supporters believe, then um, hopefully the media, other commentators will help to say, this is ridiculous. Look at the evidence. It doesn't add up. But, you know, we frankly, we thought that would happen with Trump as well. We thought that just by fact-checking him and by saying, actually, this isn't true, um, then he'd go away. So I'm not quite, you know, 100% positive in in the media's ability to kind of shine the light on this and expose it. I mean, and there's also kind of a couple of worrying examples of this um, drifting over into the the mainstream in terms of like people taking concrete action. Um, You know, in in June, for instance, there was an individual who drove with who was armed with with the AR-15, who drove onto Hoover Dam, um, in an armored truck, I think it was, and he started, he sat there and demanded that a specific piece of QAnon evidence be released by the government. Um, you know, on Whoa. Sunday, um, there was an individual who was photographed at uh, Michael Avenatti's office in California um, holding what appeared to be some sort of, like, knife shank. The picture was blurry, um, but he, Avenatti also said that, like, the threats against his um, his office had quadrupled since QAnon had mentioned him. Hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, unfortunately, we live in an era in which, um, you know, these type of conspiracies can boil over and someone can take it upon themselves to take action. I mean, you saw what happened with Pizzagate. Um, you know, yeah. someone drove all the way up from North Carolina to, um, quote unquote, investigate by going in there with, a, with an assault rifle. Right. And shooting and, into the ceiling. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. So I think that there's a strong possibility that that could happen. Hopefully it doesn't, but you never know nowadays. God forbid. Luke Barnes, great reporting. It's over at thinkprogress.org. Luke, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. You can tweet Luke at LukeBarnes underscore 92. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Tom Hartman here with you, uh, broadcasting all over the planet from Portland, Oregon. Are the libertarians winning? 
And by the libertarians, I mean the hard right, the Koch brothers, the billionaires, the people who believe that the core values of America are that rich people should get richer and richer and richer, and that's just a fine thing. And, you know, poor people are the rabble, to quote John Adams. I mean, that was his phrase that he constantly used to refer to people that he didn't think should be allowed to vote. People who were not federalists. Oh, my God, they weren't white male property owners. But are they winning? Is that what's going on? Trump is pushing a $100 billion tax break for the ultra-rich in the form of a decrease in the tax paid on capital gains. Capital gains... If you buy a stock, say you're a billionaire, right? And you put $100 million into Apple stock, and it goes up 10% over the course of a year. So that $100 million is now $110 million. You made a $10 million profit. You sell that stock, and you have to pay taxes on that. Well, on $10 million of income, well, actually, the capital gains tax tops out at, I think, 20%. In fact, they might have lowered it with the GOP tax scam to 15%. But it tops out, let's say it tops out at 20% where it used to be. So you're paying 20% income tax on that $10 million, which is $2 million, I believe. Yeah. And so you're only left with $8 million. Well, you know, they, they want to cut this. They want to say, let's say that, you know, there's been some inflation since the time you bought that stock. And this is mostly going to be consequential to people like Warren Buffett, who hold stocks for decades. The real billionaire investors, the Bill Gates of the world, the people who buy stocks and sit on them for 10 years, and, you know, they're going to get this huge tax break, $100 billion tax cut for the very, very, very rich. So are the libertarians winning? This is from the New York Times, Alan Rappaport and Jim Tankersley. The Trump administration is considering bypassing Congress to grant a $100 billion tax cut mainly to the wealthy. Steve Mnuchin said, announced that his department is studying this. Mr. Mnuchin said, if we can't get it done through the legislative legislation process, we will look at what tools at Treasury we have to do it on our own. We'll consider that. Meanwhile, you've got this. Uh, there was a, a piece in this morning's Financial Times. In fact, I believe it's the top headline in the Financial Times, suggesting that, or not suggesting, reporting that the yield on 10-year Treasury bonds has now passed 3%. 3% is not the prime interest rate. It's, it's now what the government is having to pay to get people to buy bonds. Why? Well, the article points it out quite clearly. It's because the Trump administration is borrowing like a drunken sailor. My phrase, not theirs. And having known a few drunken sailors, I don't know if they borrow a lot, but in any case, I haven't been a drunken sailor, I guess. Uh, they're, they're borrowing money like there's no tomorrow. I mean, they, they're, they're having to borrow a trillion dollars in the fiscal year that starts October 1st just to fund their tax break for billionaires. A trillion and a half dollars they're going to have to borrow, which means they're going to have to issue treasuries, 10 and 20-year treasuries. And, you know, everybody's getting ready. But what that also means is the cost of our national debt is going up, which is not a good thing. So, in the, you know, this, by the way, is an old scam. This is the two Santa Claus scam being played out in real time right in front of us. This was something that Jude Wininsky laid out back in 1976 in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. And he said, he pointed out in 76, you'll recall, those of you who lived through it will recall, those of you who read history will know that this was just a couple of years after Nixon resigned. And... The, and Jimmy Carter was elected in 76. There was this huge wave against the Republicans because of all the corruption of the Nixon years, Nixon taking bribes, Nixon telling lies, Nixon having enemy lists, all this stuff. And, in, and the Republicans felt like, you know, we'll never recover from this. This is the end of the Republican Party. Nixon killed the party. And Jude Wininsky wrote this op-ed for the Wall Street Journal saying, no, 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 no. We didn't, you know, Nixon didn't kill a party. We can bring the party back. All we have to do is convince people that we're Santa Claus just like the Democrats are. And we need to force the Democrats to shoot their own Santa Claus. Jude Wininsky pointed out in this article in the Wall Street Journal back in 1976 that ever since the 1930s, ever since FDR, Americans have viewed the Democratic Party as the party of Santa Claus. The Democratic Party brought us Social Security. The Democratic Party brought us Medicare. The Democratic Party brought us Medicaid. The Democratic Party brought us minimum wage. The Democratic Party brought us unionization. The Democratic Party brought us uh, unemployment insurance. 
The Democratic Party brought us basically the entire social safety net and every single element of it was protested and fought tooth and nail by Republicans beginning to end top to bottom. And so then the Republicans, so now the Republicans have to figure out a way how to undo this, right? So this is Jude Wininsky's article. He says, you know, the Democrats are Santa Claus. The Republicans have never been viewed as Santa Claus. And we say, no, we don't like Social Security. This is what George W. Bush campaigned, you know, what he, all around the country in 2005 to privatize Social Security. Didn't work, but he tried. So, and Republicans right now, they're trying to destroy Medicare and Medicaid. And in fact, this last budget that Trump passed cut $200 million out of Social Security. So the wait time when you go on Social Security to get any kind of processing done or any kind of help is going to be much, much longer. And you're going to be much more frustrated with the bureaucracy, which is what they want. They want you to hate that bureaucracy. They want you to hate Social Security and Medicare. So Jude Wininsky says, OK, here's how you do it. When Republicans are in power, run up the national debt as hard and as fast as you can. Reagan came into office. There was an $800 billion national debt. When he left office, it was about $2 trillion. He tripled the national debt. Or nearly tripled. I think it was $2.1 trillion. $2.4 trillion would have been complete triple. George W. Bush doubled the national debt. I mean, this is, this is what Republicans do. And this is what Jude Wininsky said Republicans should do. Prior to that, Republicans had always been advocates of, you know, balancing the budget and fiscal. Yeah, they still talk about this, right? But not when a Republican is in the White House. Run up the national debt when you have the ability to do it. And then as soon as the Democrats take control, which they inevitably will, scream about the national debt. Scream about it so loud that the average American is freaked out and telling his politicians, oh, my God, the national debt, we got to do something. And then say, wow, we can solve the debt problem. Let's just cut back on spending. We don't need Medicare. We don't need Medicaid. We don't need long-term disability insurance. We don't need long-term unemployment insurance. We don't need any unemployment insurance. (laughs) And on it goes, right? And if you can get a Democrat to go along with that, like Bill Clinton with we're ending welfare as we know it, or Barack Obama almost chaining the CPI, the, the Consumer Price Index of Social Security, doing the chain CPI, cutting Social Security benefits over time. If Democrats go along with it, then... then after they have, you point out, hey, that Democrat just shot Santa Claus. But we'll be Santa Claus, Republicans. We will be Santa Claus. We're the tax cut Santa Claus. And it's all one consistent thing. So that's what's going on. And then you use that to gain the political power to completely deconstruct the liberal welfare state. So we've got this government reform and reorganization plan. This, this was proposed back in the middle of June. It's on the web, White House website. Under this plan, the government sells off the post, postal service, sells it off. So if you live in a rural area, it's not going to cost you 50 cents to send a stamp. It's going to cost you eight bucks because you're going to have to do it via UPS. Sell off the postal service, sell off the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, Eliminate more than one-third of the U.S. public health corps. So, no, we don't need to be ready for, a, for an epidemic or a pandemic. Restructure all foreign aid and development program and place all domestic programs that help poor ch- families or children under a single agency that has the word welfare in its name. So it's easy to stigmatize all this stuff. There's also a, uh, a massive real estate bonanza for developers by selling off private property. Cuts or restructures all the federal programs that are meant to educate people about their financial rights and protect them from bank and mortgage fraud. Cut R&D at NASA. Cut all funding for any form of alternative energy. Put all of this under a single Department of Energy agency. Department of Welfare is created, and all forms of support go through that. Streamline privatization of federal assets via the customer experience improvement capability. Transfer all background checks on federal employees away from the FBI and into the Pentagon. Is this the beginning of a... This is from Lori Garrett, by the way, a recipient of the Pulitzer Prize. Net impact of the Trump government reorganization scheme is taking everything across government that is for the poor and needy people and consolidating under a single budgetary authority, cut science all over the place, eliminate the Census Bureau, reduce legislation, etc. This is what they're doing. And in the midst of this now, now they're, they're going to be selling, you know, phony life insurance or health insurance policies starting in three months. 
And I've got some warnings for you from previous political figures about exactly what I'm talking about that I think you'll find fascinating. You're listening to Tom Hartman. First of all, we've got uh, the warnings, right? The politicians warning us. There, you know, the, before it was, it was the British. It was Paul Revere. He was warning the British uh, that their gun control scheme wasn't going to work, or something like that. I think maybe I don't know. Here's this Sarah Palin. He who warned uh, the british that they weren't going to be taking away our arms uh by right. reading those bills and, right. and um making sure as he's riding his horse through town to shooting. send those warning shots yeah. and bells paul that uh, we were going to be secure and we were going to be free yeah paul revere riding uh, riding along saying okay you british i'm shooting my gun in the okay here's the real warning let me warn you and let me warn the nation against the smooth evasion that says, of course we believe these things. We believe in social security. We believe in work for the unemployed. We believe in saving homes. Cross our hearts and hope to die. We believe in all these things. See, the American people had the Republicans' number in the 30s. But we do not like the way the present administration is doing them, just turn them over to us. We will do all of them. We will do more of them. We will do them better. And most important of all, the doing of them will not cost anybody anything. Right. And that was, that's what Donald Trump campaigned on. Um, we're going to roll back Obamacare, and I'm going to give you health care that's better than you have right now and cheaper. We're going to, you know, we're going to replace the inefficient. We're going to, he says, I'm going to rescue Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. We're not going to touch those programs. They already have cut all three of those programs. We're, you know, we're, we're going to strengthen the social, I mean, this, the, he campaigned, you know, FDR warned us. And now we have this, uh, this new uh, this is this is nuts. Uh, this this new health care plan that is basically you know just going to wipe us out, right? It's just going to wipe us out. And short term insurance. This from the from the New York Times. The Trump administration issued a final rule yes today that clears the way for sale of more health insurance policies that do not have that do not cover prescription drugs, maternity care, or people with pre existing conditions. Now, the law, the Obamacare law, provides for short-term, limited-duration insurance, basically emergency insurance for people. It can't last more than three months that you can buy a policy that actually doesn't cover you if you get cancer. But the Trump administration has taken that little loophole in Obamacare, and they're taking that three months and running it out to 12 months, and then saying you can renew it for up to three years. So, as the New York Times says... This is an article by Robert Pear in today's New York Times. First of all, the premium, the average Affordable Care Act premium next year will be $620. The premium for these policies will be $340, so they're a lot cheaper. And then he goes on to say, people who buy the new policies and develop, develop cancer could face astronomical costs and may be forced to forego treatment entirely because of the costs, says Chris Hansen, the president of the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. The new rule takes effect in about two months, and these policies could be on sale by the end of the year. This is the deconstruction of America. There's another piece to this. This, uh, this by Susan Grigsby in uh, the, at the Daily Kos. In seven, uh, there are seventeen thousand five hundred public libraries. Forbes is promoting the idea of privatizing them. Well, down in Seminole County, Florida, people actually got together. The, the city government said, we're going to privatize our library. There's this company that has so far privatized 80 libraries across the United States. And the people, when this, when they, the people of Seminole County learned about this, they came in and said no. And they stopped it. But there's a whole lot more of this going on all over the country. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. The billionaires are in full tilt boogie mode against the, uh, against the values of America, fundamentally. 
J.P. Brooks tweets to me two minutes ago, Tom, to answer you, libertarians are not winning. Steve Bannon just called the Koch brothers frauds, and it's starting a Republican civil war. They're going to start, quote, exposing, end quote, Republicans who receive billionaire money. Get the popcorn. This will be fun. From your lips to God's ears. I mean, if they start, if they go after big money in the Republican Party, it's going to be extraordinary because that that's been happening in the Democratic Party now since basically the Bernie phenomena is, although it's been happening for you know a long time prior to that. And Bernie was feeding it on this program for years and years. You know, no, I'm not going to take billionaire money. I'm not going to take PAC money. I won't take corporate money. That's been Bernie's position for years and years. And it's now the position of a large chunk of the Democratic caucus. It's a uh, precondition to be in the in the uh, uh, progressive caucus. The Congressional Progressive Caucus. You must say, I will not take corporate money or PAC money. And there's almost 100 members of that caucus. I mean, it's extraordinary. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's platform. And again, it's not enough for us to just say, oh, my God, Trump is terrible. Oh, my God, the libertarians. We need to present a positive vision. The Democratic Party needs to return to the core values that were established for the modern-day Democratic Party in 1933 by Franklin Roosevelt. This guy was so popular this democratic socialist, so popular that he got reelected. He, he was elected to four presidencies. He got reelected three times. He served four terms in office. The last one was cut short because he died and his vice president, Harry Truman, became president. But this guy, you know, people loved it. People love democratic socialism. That's what FDR presented. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's platform uh, this is from an old tweet by Andrew Lawrence. It's a screenshot from Fox News. And this was on Fox News. They were talking about, look out, here's the danger. This is what coming. This is what's coming. See, as long as they say that about us, they, we're winning. This is good. This is the screenshot. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's platform. Medicare for all. Housing as a human right. A federal jobs guarantee. In other words, the government becomes the employer of last resort when capitalism fails. Gun control and assault weapons ban. Criminal justice reform and private prisons. Immigration justice abolish ICE. Solidarity with Puerto Rico. Mobilizing against climate change. Clean campaign finance. Oh my God, Fox News is hysterical. Higher education for all. We can't have that. We've got to have stupid people in it. Women's rights. Support LGBTQIA. Support seniors. Curb Wall Street gambling by restoring Glass-Steagall. That literally is her platform. And Fox, you know, to the credit, I guess, put it up truthfully. Although somehow they think that this is going to be the end of everything. Amazing. Jeff in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? My question is regarding the tax cuts that the GOP recently passed. Um, the figure that I read, uh, it increases the deficit of uh, $1.5 trillion over a certain amount of time. Right. Um, my question is, how do the conservatives keep selling this to themselves? I mean... Oh, they don't. They know, they know what's going on. Jude Wininski laid this out in 1976. It's not a, it might be a secret to Republican voters that all these years, the entire Republican Party has been operating on this fundamental principle, the two Santa Claus theory. When you're in power, jack up the debt as far as you can, as fast as you can, spend money like a drunken sailor, and, and produce prosperity. I mean, you give me a $2 trillion credit card, which is what Ronald Reagan did, or a $1.6 trillion credit card, run up the debt that much, pour that much money into the economy by borrowing it, you're going to have a stimulated economy. This is what Trump's doing right now. He's borrowing a trillion dollars this year to pay for a trillion and a half dollar tax cut for billionaires. And that money is going into the economy, much of that money. Most of it's actually, we find now, is going into the stock market, which is why the stock market is exploding. And everybody looks at the stock market, and, and Jeff, thank you for the call. Everybody looks at the stock market and says, oh, gee, the economy must be doing great. Well, the economy's not doing great if you're a working person in this country. Wages are actually going down because we've destroyed labor unions and because we've we've cut taxes on working people which always leads to wage cuts but this i mean it's just it's just astonishing what's going on but but the the republican elite they know exactly what they're doing and they're doing it very intentionally the republican voters are the poor dupes in this whole story marty in detroit hey marty what's up thanks for listening to serious xm hi tom i'm just really glad that you're talking about this budget deficit issue 
because it's really the other shoe that is yet to drop on the terrible tax cut bill that the Republicans passed. There's been some coverage of how unfair the tax cut was, but almost no coverage of what's just around the corner. That's right. The two Santa Claus theory requires two things, cut taxes to drive up deficits and then cut spending to, to reduce the deficits. And, you know, cutting spending means no more Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, un- unemployment insurance, no more roads, bridges. I mean, this has been literally going on since Reagan. Back to you, Marty. Sorry for the interruption. I, I think that the Democrats really need to emphasize how important the 2018 election is. Yeah. Because if the Republicans con- continue in control in 2019, that other shoe is going to drop. Yep. You take a look at Trump's proposed budget that went nowhere. Yep. It was actually, ironically, very revealing. You can go through and look at the dozens of programs he proposed eliminating. Yep. Home heating assistance, nutrition assistance. I mean, the the direct the cuts will be so draconian, people are really going to suffer. And this issue needs to get out here before November so people have a chance to weigh this in their vote. Yep. Ben Carson's already weighed in. He wants to double the rent that low-income people pay for housing, which is going to create massive homelessness. It just goes on and on and on. Marty, well said. Thank you very much. I, I, uh, I appreciate this. Three things that the government does more efficiently than the private sector. I want to continue on this riff about the efforts of the libertarians to tear down our government to destroy our government here in the United States. And uh, Alex Henderson wrote a great piece that's over at Alternet. It's titled, Here Are Three Things the Government Does More Efficiently Than the Private Sector. Uh, The first is Medicare. Medicare operates far more efficiently than any health insurance company in the United States. And, in fact, I just retweeted a a tweet uh, that Bernie Sanders put out that was a Canadian doctor's testimony before Congress in which she's puncturing all these Uh, uh, false narratives that are floating up on the right, that Canadian doctors are leaving the public system. They're not. That Canadians are coming to the United States for health care. They're not. That, uh, you know, actually more doctors are moving from America into Canada. More people go from the United States into Canada than the other way around. it's, It's pretty remarkable how she just, and she just nails it. She lays this stuff out. So Medicare, Medicare actually works which is one of the reasons why the Republicans want to destroy it, because Medicare was brought to you by Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat and a Democratic Congress, although there were some Republicans who voted for Medicare. That ain't happening anymore because the Republicans are firmly under under control of the libertarian billionaires, the people that Joe Scarborough calls classic liberals. No, they're libertarians. In the United States, they wouldn't be considered liberals, maybe in the UK, but not in the United States. Uh, another thing is the U.S. Postal Service. The U.S. Postal Service does things better than, than you know, private companies. I mean, if you think that, uh, that, that the U.S. Postal Service, here, he, this is from the article. I, uh, you know, he, he says it so well, Alex Anderson. He says, ironically, if Republicans succeed in privatizing the Postal Service, it will be small towns and rural areas, the Republican base, that would suffer the most, not the urban Democrats. Presently, one can send a one-ounce letter anywhere in the United States for 50 cents. An especially good deal if you live in remote Montana, South Dakota, or Idaho. But there's no way the rural towns and small towns would continue to enjoy mail service at such a price under the GOP privatization scheme. And that's true. It's just, you know, we're, we're spreading the costs all across the United States to make this service available to everybody, just like we do with Medicare, just like we do with Social Security. And the third one that he points out is high-speed rail travel. You know, we, we uh, by semi-privatizing uh, Amtrak, and not really giving it the government support it needs. And it has to use privatized rails. We privatized all the rails up and down the East Coast. And so Amtrak can't even, you know, most of the rail can't even sustain 70 miles an hour. So Amtrak has to go slow in that Northeast corridor. And it's not because the trains can't go faster. The trains can go over 100 miles an hour. It's, it's uh, particularly the Acela. It can go 150 miles an hour. It's not the trains. It's the track. And the track was privatized. And it's owned by a hodgepodge of companies that charge Amtrak to travel over it and won't, you know, create new new track. We're at, you know, and the same thing in the UK when Margaret Thatcher came along and she said, "Oh, we need to privatize everything because, you know, this whole idea of society is a myth. There's no such thing as society. There's only a collection of individuals." That's virtually a verbatim quote by the way from Margaret Thatcher. This is the libertarian, you know, core idea that that government shouldn't be doing anything. So she privatized the rails in Great Britain. And what happened? The price went up, the service went down. 
It was real. It was totally predictable, right? I mean, somebody's got to make a buck. How do they get that buck? They raise the cost of the tickets and they cut the cost of maintenance. Uh, you know, it's or or hire people who are less well qualified to run the trains, which is exactly what happened. Meanwhile, the editorial board of the New York Times is editorializing. This was a couple of weeks ago, July nineteenth, about uh, the National Guideline Clearinghouse. The National Glideline Clearinghouse is something that you and I pay for with our tax dollars. And it is used by doctors. If a doctor wants to, an actual physician wants to know, quote, can this emergency room patient tolerate a procedure that normally requires an empty stomach? Does that patient need a stent? Which antibiotic should this patient be started on? Right? These are life and death things. And doctors need to be able to get this information fast. On Monday, the Department of Health and Human Services took this offline. Why? Well, uh, according to the editorial board, it's part of the uh, Trump administration's plan to eliminate science from government's agenda. I would say it's this is something that could be done by private industry. You're going to see companies popping up all over the country or maybe one big company is going to make their services available all over the country. And they're going to be saying to doctors and hospitals, we've got the new database. Now that the federal government has taken the database down, that was paid for with tax dollars, We've got one, and you can access it if you subscribe for only $500 a year. And it's going to be a new profit center. This is the idea of these libertarians, that government cannot and should not do anything. And thus, everything gets more expensive, and the quality of everything goes down. And the social safety net is torn apart, which is exactly what they want. You get where they're going with this? You get how? I mean, this, this is just so insidious. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses, only it goes across the forehead. And it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG, and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, into your, into your ears, as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder. And as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer and the waves get softer. And you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool. And meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it you know helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now. And I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've, I've got a 10-book contract right now, and I'm writing so much every single day. I used to, I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour. And half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that. And, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, i got to do that. And, and I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now, instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. You can learn all about it at choosemuse, M-U-S-E, choosemuse.com. And if you order Using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. Choosemuse.com. Mary in Chicago. Hey, Mary, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? Yes, uh, I enjoy your show. And my main concern is that uh, a large portion of the population did buy the Kool-Aid. Yep. That you do everything, you know, by pulling yourself by your bootstraps and that the social safety net is is uh, if we ever need it is uh, something that can be used against people individually yep yep i i i absolutely agree mary some not somehow i was gonna say somehow this has happened but you know we all know how it's happened it's happened as the result of the Koch brothers and a bunch of other billionaires spending hundreds of millions of dollars perhaps billions of dollars to change well, certainly billions of dollars when you include things like funding, you know, uh, Americans for Progress, funding the Mercatus or whatever it is, Center at George Washington, buying, you know, over 100 uh, different universities, buying their economics seats, you know, and in, in basically indoctrinating people. Um, they, they have convinced the average Trump voter, the average citizen who thinks Trump is a good guy, they've convinced them 
that anything that helps the billionaires is going to help the average working guy, and therefore they should support it, which is breathtaking. I mean, that's something, you know, even George Herbert Walker, even George W. Bush couldn't pull that off. Sort of maybe. He got reelected in 2005, but, you know, it took the Supreme Court to put him in the White House in the first time around. So, Mary, I think you're right. Yeah, and not only that, this message has been honed in since uh, the Powell memo came out. Yep, 1972. So this this has been developing for a very, very long time. I am totally convinced that for progressives, you know, to succeed, they have to change the narrative. Yes, I agree. And it's not enough to just be opposed to Trump or even opposed to neoliberalism or these, these so-called conservatives, this, this distru- uh, libertarians really is what they are, this destruction of government. We have to put forward a positive vision of what we have and what we can, what we can have. And I think that um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's platform that she's been running on is a, is a really good example of that. I've got it here someplace. And I think it's pretty, yeah, here it is right here. Um, this, is, this is what Fox News put up as a warning, right? Look out, this, this woman, Medicare for all, housing is a human right, federal jobs guarantee, Gun control, criminal justice reform, end private prisons, immigration justice, solidarity with Puerto Rico, mobilizing against climate change, clean campaign finance, higher education for all, women's rights, support LGBTQIA, support seniors, curb Wall Street gambling, and restore Glass-Steagall. Sound good, Mary? Sounds wonderful. Yeah, I think think that's the platform. Thank you, Mary, for the call. And thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Uh, This, this, you know, I mean, we have to hold this up and say this is where we're going. And, you know, I think this is really important. And more and more uh, Democrats are getting on board with this and saying, yeah, OK, you know, we don't need corporate money and we do need control of corporate excesses and the billionaires that corporations spawn. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat dot com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. And on the line with us, Ellen Ratner herself. Hey, Ellen, what's going on in the world today? Well- Thank you so much. Before I do that, I had a bookcase fall on my foot, but before I did that, I saw many of your books that you have written, and I started to reread them last night, and I am i just wish I could live in your brain for one hour. <laughs> well, you read my books, you're inside my brain. <laughs> Thank you, Ellen, I know, for the plug. But you know what I'm saying. I, yeah. I love your brain. If you just think about things in such a different, amazing way. Well, anyway, you. okay, let me go on with the news. Um, so the Republicans are saying that the Democrats should not ask for more records on Kavanaugh, and they even put C. Boyden Gray on this, and C. Boyden Gray uh, was a count- the White House counsel under the Bush 1 administration, uh, and basically they say, well, you know, we don't need any more records on Kavanaugh, but however, when Elena Kagan was asked uh, to be, you know, the Supreme Court justice, they did ask for all of her records, and what they want from Kavanaugh is his records of what he did when he was in the Bush White House. Right, which was apparently fairly substantial, according to Kavanaugh himself. Right, exactly, but he doesn't want to release those records. Right. Okay, so um, then uh, there is... By the way, if I may, Ellen, apparently the reason Kavanaugh doesn't want to release those records is because he was was okay with Bush torturing people. He was okay with a lot of the areas where Bush was beyond the law, where Bush was actually doing things that were illegal. Kavanaugh was right in the middle of that swamp. And and they just don't want that stuff coming out. No, they don't want that stuff coming out because they're afraid that some Republicans will turn against them. Yep. And uh, today, all they said is they need one Republican vote. But actually, they also need some Democratic votes because some of the Democrats are running in red states and they're afraid of their shadow. Yep. Sadly. Okay. Uh, so then uh, it's very interesting. The Bush administration, I'm sorry, the Trump administration, I get them confused. Me too sometimes. Uh, are calling on people to purchase inexpensive health care plans. Right now you can purchase an inexpensive health care plan for three months. They're trying to up it to 36 months. Three years, yeah. And to say, and this would also, they could also charge more for pre-conditions. Uh, pre, uh, or refuse to cover you. Or when you get cancer, simply drop you. I mean, it's bizarre. Well, I don't know about dropping, but uh, you probably know more about that it than I That was the New York Times today. The, the, the head of the National Cancer Society said that if you get cancer, you're going to go bankrupt. Wow. Well, Under these of course, plans. because it, it's not going to pay for it. It's an inexpensive health care plan. Right. I mean, that's how, they, that's how they can offer it cheap. <laughs> you know, we don't cover everything. 
<laughs> yep. It's crazy. Okay. So now uh, there's a se- uh, independent senator, Angus King from Maine. Um, he thinks that Russia is behind the Facebook posts, interestingly enough. Uh-huh. Uh, that's what he said today on air. So we don't know whether that's true or not. Uh, the White House isn't saying one way or the other. They may not know yet. But in any case, they're saying that. I, Ellen, now, I got an email today from uh, Evan Greer at Fight for the Future, you know, who's leading the charge on net neutrality. And right. she said that uh, there's actually one of those Facebook sites uh, that was taken down that was organizing a counter-protest in Washington, D.C., is a totally legitimate site. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. Well, okay. they, they, they apparently went after the lefties. I wonder if this has, has something to do with uh, Mark Zuckerberg deciding to put the Heritage Foundation on their board that reviews, you know, who should and who shouldn't be on Facebook. Exactly. Oh, yeah. that's very interesting. I mean, I, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see what they really find out. Yep. If they find out anything. Yeah. And what the left can find out, yep. obviously. Okay. So now I am, I have to be confess, I'm on the American Board of Reporters Without Borders, but they've actually called the United Nations to get involved. Two Egyptian journalists are being held. One needs medical treatment, and he's not getting it. And they're being held, uh, one of them without a trial for a long period of time. And so Reporters Without Borders in the United States called on the United Nations to get involved because, of course, the United Nations pushes free press. Not that it does much good. But yeah. that's interesting. Yep. Okay. Now, in, the, in the face of a president, you know, did you see what happened last night? And on, you know, with the CNN, the the uh, the, the tweet from Jim Acosta, these people coming up to CNN and giving them a the middle finger and screaming obscenities oh, at know. them. I mean, this happens all the time at Trump rallies. Yeah, this now. was at last night's Trump rally, and, and I, you know, I looked at that crowd and thought, oh my God, you know, this this is just one step short of of, of Kristallnacht. Well, you know, what's interesting is that so if you have uh, what happens is Trump goes to these rallies, he feeds them red meat, he goes against the Democrats, he goes for the wall, but he also goes against the press. And, you know, he uh, he says it's fake news and the crowd loves it. Yeah, this is something that every despot does. Every politician, Erdogan started this in Turkey about three years ago, every politician who wants to seize absolute power starts by going after the press. Because, you know, as the founders pointed out in the First Amendment, the press is the balance. It is the it is the power that can hold government in check. So you have to destroy the press first. Well, you know, it was interesting when I first came to the White House, Helen Thomason, the only reporter that actually talked to our interns, Mm -hmm. said to me, don't do anybody's bidding. You're here because of the free press. Yeah. Amen. And without the free press, we're sunk and we're seeing we're seeing Donald Trump. And it's not that you have to have the free press. It's the free press has to have credibility and, you know, in order to function. Right. And, and Trump's number one campaign is to destroy the credibility of the free press in the United States. I think that's so wrong. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News. Thank you, Ellen, so much. Thank you so much. It's great hearing from you and a great report today. TalkMediaNews.com is the website. Thank you. Ellen. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high tech. And yes, I'll say it. It is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and your and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com 
right now. Use the code Tom, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. You're listening to Tom Hartman. In Tampa, Donald Trump gave a rally, and, and these rallies, these are not presidential speeches. When President Obama was president, he traveled around the country and he actually gave speeches on issues to groups of people who showed up because they wanted to hear what he had to say. And he got heckled. He got hassled. He had people yell at him. Occasionally they would drag a heckler out who persisted. But, you know, he's the president of the United States. You know, I get that. Uh, People held protest signs. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Right. I mean, that's just that's how it's always been until now. Now, Trump announced his campaign for re-election in 2020, the day after he was elected, and has been piling up cash and aggressively fundraising. I'm on his fundraising list, and I get an email now every single day from Donald Trump, Laura Trump, Eric Trump. It's like, today's our deadline. We have to hit this second quarter goal or third quarter, whatever it is. And, you know, we need your contribution now. Or it's, uh, hey, do you want to come and have lunch with Donald Trump? And so basically, they've got this huge list of donors, and they've raised tens of millions of dollars from, from these people. They're using a lot of that money to pay for the legal fees of the Trump children with regard to the whole Russiagate thing. But they're also, you know, building a substantial war chest. And, but the, the unique thing about this is that they're using this list of donors, which are the reliable supporters, right? Anybody who's donated to you more than two or three times that's your core. So they're apparently, this is, this is, and I don't have the actual proof of this, but I have no other explanation for why there's nobody at these Trump rallies who's even, who even seems bemused by what's going on, much less protesting. Everybody is like, oh yeah, man, this is exact. This is the end of the world. Yep. It's, this is great. Where does he come up with these people? My guess is that they are only sending out invitations to these events to people who are multiple donors to the Trump campaign. And they've got a long and large list of these people all around the country because they've been doing this fundraising ever since he became president. And therefore, the audiences are entirely made up of the rabid, the the rabid part of Donald Trump's base, not even just the average part of his base, but the, the true believers, the ones who will take 10 bucks out of their paycheck every month and send it to Donald Trump to get reelected in 2020. The funny thing is they don't even, in in most of the emails, they don't even say, this is our re-election campaign. They just say, we need your help. But in any case, so the consequence of this is that you get these really rabid true believers at these these rallies, which create a kind of synergy, uh, uh, you know, two plus two equals five, uh, between Trump's throwing out the red meat, throwing out the hate, right? Who can we hate on next, right? And the crowd throwing back that, you know, uh, to Trump as love to Trump, right? So he, he creates this cycle. He spits out poison. They spit love back to him. But then they turn to the people that he's been spitting poison at, whether it's uh, people of color, whether it's immigrants, whether it's people seeking asylum, or whether it's the press. They turn to those people and their hate just pours out. Jim Acosta tweeted this last night. This is just a, 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 a small clip of the crowd coming after CNN. And they're just, they're, you know, we love Trump and all this kind of stuff. And it just goes on and on and on. And they are, they're, they're hating on CNN. Right. And, and Jim Acosta is like, you know, this is this is the, the clip that he tweeted out. And you see these people giving CNN the finger. You see them, you know, uh, basically trashing him, going after him. He's, this, this guy's got to be scared for his life. And as I said, when Ellen Ratner was on at the end of the last hour. The first thing that despots go after the first thing, if you are a politician and you want to destroy the norms of governance, destroy the norms of politics, and be able to say and do anything you want. You have to get the, the, the one power that can check you out of the equation. Now, many people think that one power is Congress or the courts, right? Hey, we have three-part government. I learned this in fourth grade. And, you know, the, the judiciary and the executive branch check the legislative branch, and the legislative branch checks the executive branch, which is the president. The judiciary can check the, you know, and this is what we learned, right? This is what we think. 
But the fact of the matter is that if Trump did something that was wildly off, 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 off the scale, say, putting little children in cages, tearing them away from their mothers, and Congress stood up to do something about it, if it was never reported, you would never know it. Think about that for a minute. If Congress tried to fight back, successfully or unsuccessfully, if it was never reported, you would never know it. If the courts blocked Trump or any president, if it was never reported, you would never know it. So if you want to get around the checks and balances built into our republic, carefully put there by James Madison and others of the founders, and, you know, I get it, it was imperfect in a hundred different ways. In fact, I'm writing a book right now about how the Constitution was basically a document designed to protect property rights. But if, if, you, if you want those checks and balances to be functional, you need a fourth check. And the framers of the Constitution understood this. Thomas Jefferson said, if I were to have to choose between a country that had a government but no newspapers or a country that had newspapers but no government, I would surely choose the latter. Newspapers but no government. The press was that important. It's why they wrote it into the First Amendment. Freedom of the press shall not be abridged. Congress shall pass no laws abridging the freedom of the press. Now, the fact of the matter is, in my opinion, Congress has passed numerous laws abridging freedom of the press that have to do with leaks and confidential sources and things, and they should pass a law providing for the protection of the press. But the, but the bottom line of this rant, the point of this whole rant, is that it's not the check on the power of the president is not in Congress or in the courts. Those are a check on the president, but the check on the president is the press. And so if a president wants to defy the courts, wants to defy Congress, wants to defy the will of the American people and do something that's terribly unpopular or even criminal and wants to get away with it, the first thing that president has to do is destroy the credibility of the press among the American people, cause the American people to believe that the press cannot be relied on, the press cannot be trusted. Don't believe the press. And then provide alternative options for people that simply echo your line. Fox News isn't fake news. It's the only real news out there. And you watch Fox News for 15 minutes and you go, oh my God, do people actually believe this stuff? You go to MediaMatters.org every single day. They show, I mean, just the, 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 the craziness that's on Fox News. Uh, you know, uh, Sean Hannity, I'm reading from MediaMatters.org. And you can see these clips. Uh, Sean Hannity celebrates CNN's Jim Acosta being harassed by Trump supporters at Florida rally. Fox and Friends deceptively edit clips to claim Senator was confused about family separation policy. Uh, Right wing, uh, let's see, uh, Tucker Carlson, the left's opposition to ICE, violates a basic principle of Anglo-American civilization. Yes, because if we didn't come from Britain, we don't deserve to be here. Have you noticed those British people are mostly white? It's conservative. It just it just goes on and on. I mean, you know, it's and you can, as I said, Jesse Waters, immigrants should be the best and the brightest, not some guy's uncle from Zimbabwe. A little race there, Jesse. So this is what a a wannabe dictator has to do is first destroy the credibility of the press. It's what Erdogan did in Turkey. It's, it's what uh, uh, Rodrigo Duterte is doing in the Philippines right now. It's what uh, El Sisi did in Egypt. It, it, I mean, this is happening all over the world. A- any, any place you've got some, a wannabe tyrant or a despot rising up, somebody who doesn't believe in a small R republic or a small D democracy, the first thing they do is go after the press. And that's happening big time right now, and it's actually working. The press now is ranking down there with Congress in terms of credibility in the minds of the American people. This is not how it should be. Paul in Beaumont, Texas. Hey, Paul, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Hey, I, I, got, I got a quick question. I, I love listening to different opinions, different Uh-oh. viewpoints. Here it comes. Okay. 
Uh, here it comes. Here it comes. Okay, we're talking. We're talking about foreign interference in, in elections. Right. Correct. Okay. What San Francisco is proposing with illegal immigrants, non-citizens voting. What San Francisco is not proposing that, Paul. Do what? San Francisco is not proposing that. Nobody's proposing that. Nobody in the country wants. And by the way, it's illegal. One of the opinions yeah. that you've apparently tuned into is a crackpot who's lying to you. Okay. Well, that's why I'm calling to get a different opinion. Okay. Nobody wants somebody who's not a citizen to vote, period. We used to have a voting system that was incredibly seamless and tight because we used biometrics to determine whether you actually were who you said you were. We compared people's signatures. Signatures are about the hardest thing to fake. And if you regularly vote, Paul, you know that at least it used to be you go in and you, you have to sign in to vote and they compare your signature with your with your initial registration card. And and that that is biometrics, Paul, and that is the one of the most effective ways, one of the hardest ways to fake your identity. But, you know, the Republicans want to replace all that to make it just harder for everybody to vote because they know if they can suppress the vote broadly by scaring people with things like, oh, San Francisco wants immigrants to vote. If they can suppress the vote, then they're more likely to have their guys elected because wealthy white people in the suburbs always vote no matter what. They understand that their economic prosperity and their privilege depends on it. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.